0: The title of this morning's message is Rescue Dive. Rescue Dive. So when you found Luke 19, verse number 45, and the Bible says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house My house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. He was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Everybody say, hanging on his words. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came up to him and said, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? They discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe in him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And we're in a series called Dive because we want to go deeper. We want to go below the surface with the things of God. And here's the reason why we must dive. We must dive because there's more to the Bible than meets the eye. There's more to the whole world and there's a whole other world under the surface than we just read upon. The environment above the water is different than the environment below the water. The culture that Jesus lived in is so different than the American culture. Many of us read the Bible and we don't understand any of it. We just get a surface value, uh, value of the Bible. And we don't go deeper into the things of God like we need to. So we want to go deeper in those areas. And then seeing things will help you obtain knowledge. But listen, experiencing things will change your life. We want you to experience the Bible. We don't want you to just hear about it. I entitled this message Dive Rescue because there are certain times on a dive when something goes devastatingly wrong and it takes a rescue dive to save the people from a dangerous situation. Now we just read this is the story where Jesus came in, he turned over the temple tables. There's an account of it in the in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll read we'll read a little bit of that right here. In the account in the Gospel of Matthew said, And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold in the temple, and he overturned the tables and the money changer and those seated who sold the pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, and you have made them a den of robbers. Also in John chapter 2, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went to Jerusalem and in the temple he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons. And the money changers were sitting there and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and with the sheep and with the oxen. And he poured out all the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And the disciples remembered that it is written about him. Zeal for the father's house will consume him. Zeal for the Father's house will consume him. And so this morning, I'm gonna have to go really fast on setting the scene, but there's a lot of scene to be set for this whole account to make sense. So I'm gonna need you to hang in there with me for a little bit, okay? Can I get an amen? And so if you're gonna hang in there with me for just a little bit, the first thing I wanna talk to you about is the Bible says Jesus is going back to the temple. Previously, Jesus is going all around the region and he's teaching in the local synagogues, the local churches, but now he's going to the main temple, the temple in Jerusalem, the temple where all the main sacraments sacrifice went where in just one year Jesus knew that he would be crucified. So I want you to get yourself in Jesus' head for a minute and realize Jesus understands everything in the Old Testament about the, the, the Passover, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. He also understands everything that's going to happen in a couple of years when he's about to be crucified. And as he's got all this stuff going through his head and through his mind, he walks into the temple of God, the place in Jerusalem, where everybody gathered once a year for the, for, the, for the Passover feast. And as he walked in there, he saw all this dishonorable stuff taking place. He saw cheating. He saw lying. He saw stealing. He saw manipulation. He saw extortion. He saw the poor being oppressed more, and the rich getting richer more and he saw all this and he was furious he got livid because you got to realize everything that's going through Jesus' mind right now and what's about to happen in the next year. Now, the Passover feast its this. This is where God passed over the Israelite nation before they crossed, crossed the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. If you go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 12, you'll read about where Moses is about to cross the Red Sea. But before that, he, God said, Take a lamb, kill it, and spread its blood on the doorpost of the of the, of the, the house that you're about to leave out of. And the, if when I see the blood of the lamb, the angel angel of death will pass over you and not take your firstborn child thus this feast is called the passover feast because the death angel passed over the house of the Israelites, because they had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. But the house of all of Egypt, all the firstborn, whether it was livestock or humans, the death angel took. And so this was a symbolic feast that they did every year, one of the main feasts that they did every year, and it was called the Passover feast. So Jesus is, it's that time every year to do the feast. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, going to the huge temple of God before the the feast, and he walks in and he sees all these people turning over and selling and trading and doing manipulative things in basically the house of God, and he gets furious. Because also when he realizes, as he walks up the mountain where the temple was set, that this is the very place where Abraham was about to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac, and he looked over and saw a ram in the bush. And Jesus knew that was symbolic of him, that Abraham represented a man of obedience and faith, about to sacrifice his only son, the son of promise. And he looked over and saw a ram in the bush. And so at that point I believe Jesus was filled with emotion, filled with all these things. And he saw all the stuff that was going on and it was literally a mockery to him face to face. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about the temple. They're going to throw the um they're going to throw a picture up on the screen right now of the temple. And I want to talk to you about the temple just for a minute. The temple, this is the place where people would go for a yearly sacrifice. And as they would go there for a yearly sacrifice, this is the place where people would come and they would meet with God. Now, see, you see over here on this far side, you got the gate beautiful. You got the Gentiles' courtyard, that's gonna be important in a minute. And then you go in here and you see in the middle of this big area, you got the women's courtyard, and then you got the priest's courtyard, and then you come over here to the holy place, and into the holy place, you got the, the holy place on the inside where you had the table of showbread, the, the altar of incense, and also you had the, the lampstand in there as well. And then you go past over there where the number one and number two are into the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, and that's where God would meet with his people, with the high priest on a yearly basis. So the temple was was vital to the whole Jewish society. It was revolved, everything they did revolved around this temple. The temple is a place where the yearly sacrifice would happen. The temple is a place where people would come meet with God. The temple is a place where God would speak to his people. The temple is the place where people would bring their sacrifices and their sin for the year would be atoned for. They would be forgiven of their sins for the year. And this is the place where relationship with with God was and could be restored. This is where the sins of a nation would be forgiven. It all took place at this temple that was on top of the mountain. And so imagine this sitting close to the top of a mountain as we go through this message. And so people would come from all over the land of Israel to this temple once a year for the Passover feast. Many of these people were poor and they were coming from rural areas. There were pre- they were peasants from all over the nation of Jerusalem. Many of them, instead of transporting their sacrificial lamb and bringing a bunch of animals because they weren't had a lot of money anyway and having to feed them and water them and tend to them the whole way, would save up money all year long. And when they would get to Jerusalem at the temple, Over here where it says the Gentiles' courtyard, they would buy a sacrificial lamb, a lamb without spot, a lamb without wrinkle, a lamb without blemish, a lamb that was suitable for the sacrifice that was about to be made on the brazen altar so their sins would be forgiven. And so all these poor people are coming from across the land. And remember why Jesus got mad, because he walked in this courtyard, the courtyard of the Gentiles, and all this money trading was going on, and all this extortion was going on, and all these bad issues were going on, and they were oppressing the poor And so Jesus got furious with it. And so the custom was this: the people they would come to the bottom of the mountain. And as they would get to the bottom of the mountain, there would be a washing, a cleansing there. They would be on a long journey coming all over Jerusalem. They would wash at the bottom of the mountain, and then men would put a white robe on which symbolized forgiveness. They would go up the mountain, and they would ascend to the top of the mountain. And this is where when you read the Psalms, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. This is what it's talking about. When you would go through the gate beautiful, you would enter his gates with thanksgiving. You would enter this courtyard here, the woman's courtyard and the priest's courtyard. You would enter the courts with praise. The resounding praise unto God. And so as that hymn was sung, they would walk up the mountain singing songs of praise and hymns. They would get to the courtyard where they would buy the sacrificial lamb. They would walk in and they would enter his gates with thanksgiving. They would enter his courts with praise and begin to worship God the Father. As they would get to the top of the mountain, they would buy that sacrificial lamb. Many of them would give every penny they had to spend on these lambs that were way overpriced. Now as you look at this picture The holy place way over there on the the far side of the screen, The, the the most inner parts is the holy of holies. And this is where God would come meet with the high priest all the time. You go back to the priest's courtyard, and this is where the priest would in. You have chief priests and other priests that would enter into the courtyard, and you had the altar and the labor right there, and they would go in there. The men could come into this inner courtyard right before the gate right there. The women's courtyard is where the women could gather, but out here is where all the other people, the outer gates, the, the Gentile courtyard, is where everybody else would come who wasn't full blood Jew, who also believed in God, and they would gather all around this temple for this huge celebration, this huge festival. And as Jesus walked up the mountain singing songs of praise and worshiping his father, he gets to the Gentiles' courtyard where basically people were out there with booths selling lambs. And they would sell these at exorbitant amount of prices. And Jesus walked through this. And he saw the oppressed getting oppressed more. And he saw the poor people giving everything they had for a sacrifice. And as they gave all they had for a sacrifice he would begin to watch and he would see as they came up to the top of the temple and because all different denominations of money were used throughout all of the nation of Israel because they were under Roman rule at the time, as they would get to the top of the mountain, you couldn't buy a lamb with just any money. You had to have the temple tax money. So you could only buy the lamb with the certain temple money that they would have. So not only were they charging, overcharging for the sacrificial lamb, but you couldn't buy it with your money. You had to go and exchange money. Kind of like, have you ever been to another country and had to exchange money? If you have, say, oh yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed the exchange rate fee is sometimes way higher than it should be? Amen. (laughs) Well, the exact same thing was happening here. They would walk in, and they would go to buy a lamb, and the guy would say, no, 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 no. You can't buy a lamb with that money. You've got to go over there and get that money exchanged. And so they'd go over there, and so they said, here's 10, we'll just say, here's 10 uh, TWBC dollars here, and we've got to exchange them for temple dollars. So I'm giving you 10 TWBC dollars. And they said, well, the TWBC exchange rate is um, it, it's five to one. So you give me 10 TWBC dollars, I'll give you two temple dollars. It wasn't one-to-one, it was this-to-this. And some other denominations, it could be five-to-one. or Whatever they wanted to make it, they could make it. And the sad thing is, the higher of the level of priests, they all got a cut of the exchange rate or the temple tax. They all got a cut of the sacrificial lamb. So if it cost $50 to raise a lamb to be able to be sacrificed, they were selling them for $150. Where else were they going to get a lamb to sacrifice for the Passover? Right? It's kind of like when 9-11 happened, gas prices went through the roof. Where else are you going to get gas? Everybody's in a panic. The same thing was happening. What happened when 9-11 occurred and gas went through the roof? Everybody went furious. The same thing happened here. It was sacrificial lamb times. Lambs went through the, through the roof. But what else were they going to do? Jesus walks in on this scene, and this is where the scene picks up and takes place. Are you with me? Say, oh, Yeah. Jesus dives first in Luke 19.45 he says as he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold saying to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers we already read the Matthew scripture and also the John scripture where he turned over the temple tables where he made a, a, a whip of cords and he drove out the oxen and the sheep from all this courtyard Gentile courtyard area he drove all the sacrificial animals away so there was nothing to buy understand this anger was going through Jesus anger was there Now, here's the thing. Anger is an emotion. Anger is amoral. Anger is not good. Anger is not bad. It's how you use it. You read throughout the Bible. If you read it with with unsaved eyes, you read all the times God got angry. You say, dang, God, you got an anger problem. (laughs) Right? Dang, God, you got an anger problem. Then you see Jesus flipping over temple tables. You see him driving people out with whips. You say, Jesus, you just like your daddy. You got an anger problem. (laughs) Right? And so as they go through this process and and they get there, anger is an amoral emotion. It's got good or it's not bad. Listen, they had emotions. Jesus has emotions. God has emotions. The difference between God and most believers is, is God has emotions, Jesus has emotions, but emotions do not have them. Many believers, we have emotions. I have anger. I have rage. I have all these emotions. I just can't let emotions have me. There are times when I'll be lividly angry about a situation, but I can't let emotions dictate how I make a decision on it. And so in this process, you've gotta realize what Jesus did here, anger, he had it, he had it, but it was amoral. Anger is not good, anger is not bad, it depends on how it's directed or used. You get angry as a husband and you start beating your spouse, everybody say, that's bad, right? You get angry as a husband and it drives you to prayer, anger's good. Now, come on, some of y'all say amen. All y'all men, I I saw about five men say, oh, (laughs) anger ain't ever drove me to prayer. It drove me to cussing. (laughs) Yeah. Now, listen, anger is amoral. Anger is not good. Anger is not bad. Anger is how it's directed. So if anger is driving you to be a spousal abuser, it's bad. If anger is driving you to your knees to begin to pray, it's good. Anger is amoral, so whenever you see somebody getting angry, don't say, oh, anger's a sin. Anger's not a sin. The Bible says be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. And so in this process, I'm excited about a church that once in a while is gonna rise up and get angry, but in our anger, it's not gonna drive us to revolt. It's gonna drive us to our knees and begin to pray and intercede and press in for the lost and press in for this nation and begin to press in the things of God to see the spirit overflow, to see a revival take place so we can get angry about some other stuff that'll drive us to prayer and drive us to revival. See, it's good to get angry, but it's how you direct your anger. It's good to be angry about some stuff, but how do you direct it? See, emotions are simply this. Emotions are E, the letter E, I like to call it an external circumstance that puts you into motion. E, external, something external from the outside happened that puts you into motion. E, motion. That's a Joel definition, okay? Some of you are like, hey, that's kinda good. Emotion, it's an external circumstance that drove you to motion. It drove you to do something, whether good or bad, that's irrelevant right now. I hope it drives you to do good stuff. But E, it's an external thing that caused you to be put into motion. Now, what you do with that motion is on you. And how much of the spirit of God you have on the inside of you is going to be contingent about what happens with that motion. Jesus got angry. Why did Jesus get angry? This is why Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry because he looked at this and saw the glory of God, the relationship with God, being extorted and prostituted out to the highest bidder. That would be like, oh, you want want Joel to pray for you? Put $20 up here on the stage, I'll pray for you. Everybody's like, oh, that's not right. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. And so Jesus got angry seeing the glory of God and the relationship that God wanted with his people in the most holy place, extorted out and prostituted out to the people who could pay the most for the sacrificial lambs while the poor were being oppressed more and the the poverty was being run rampant, but they didn't have a choice because they had to obey the Jewish law. And so Jesus got livid and it drove him to be angry, angry enough to do something about the situation angry enough to take hold of the situation that was going on. Jesus gave these two statements. He said, Behold, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's Isaiah fifty six seven. He also combined that with another scripture, Jeremiah 7, 11. and he says, "But you have made it a den of robbers." So Jesus walks up to the priest and says, "Behold, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers." He said, "My house will be called a house of prayer," in Isaiah fifty six. The den of robbers was Jeremiah chapter seven verse eleven. What he was doing because all the men of this city and all the priests, especially, they knew the whole Old Testament. They had it memorized. They knew the they knew the prophets. They had them memorized. So when Jesus walked in, and he said, you have made my house of dinner robbers, and it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. He was giving the two biggest rebukes from the two major prophets of the Israelite history. He gave a rebuke from Isaiah, and he gave a rebuke from Jeremiah, and he looked right at all the priests and said, you guys are rebuked for what you're doing, and it's wrong because this is supposed to be a place of prayer for all people. You've made it a dinner robbers. He's saying, Isaiah the prophet doesn't support you, Jeremiah the prophet doesn't re- support you, and me, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, doesn't support you. Jesus walked in. Now, I ain't ever been rebuked like that, but but I don't want to. That's like when, if your mom and dad ever got mad at you, say, your granddaddy wouldn't be proud of you, your daddy wouldn't be proud of you, and I'm not proud of you. It's the same thing. That's what he's saying. And I like to say something like this. It's called stringing together pearls. Jesus will combine scriptures from the Old Testament and string them together all in one phrase to get a whole picture where we as Americans, we look at this and we're like, what is he talking about? Well, he's combining what Isaiah said and what Jeremiah said to prove a major point because they knew their history. They had the whole Testament memorized. And so it behooves you to know the scriptures. So when Jesus says something, you'll say, Oh, he's drawing from here, and he's drawing from here. Oh! And I can imagine it went down about like this Jesus walks in, he rebukes everybody. Everybody out here in this courtyard knew what he was talking about. And so Jesus walks up, flips temple tables over, says, You made my house a dinner robbers. I can just imagine all the people out there going, Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> right? You, you know when somebody calls you out for a fight, he's like, What, you want something? Yeah. And then he calls you out like, Oh, that's what Jesus just did. And I bet this whole crowd about thousands of people out there just went, Oh, and then it got quiet. And then the circle formed. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Then the circle formed, and it's about to get real up in there. It's about to get real in the temple. And it went off. And so that's, that's the scene that is set. So then the priests dive next. The priests come in the next day. If you read this uh, scripture in, in, in alignment with Matthew and John, it talks about then Jesus left the temple, cursed the fig tree, healed some people, came back the next morning. This is when the priests show up. Because the festival of Passover lasted about seven to eight days. And so in this seven to eight day time, Jesus was teaching every day in the temple. He was out here in the courts of the Gentile where the lost were, amen, preaching out there to the people who needed the gospel, amen. And so as he was preaching out there to the lost, to the people who needed the gospel, Look who rolls up on the scene. Somebody got embarrassed yesterday. All right, remember, oh, they got embarrassed yesterday. So now they walk in, the chief priest walks up. He's got the other priest behind him, and he's got the elders behind him. He's rolling in there with his posse, man. He's like, all right, you're gonna call me out here. Come on. They're rolling on in, they're rolling deep, man. Getting all of it, and here's the circle again. I can just see the circle for him. It's like, oh, it's finna go down. And so they walk in. And they began to spout out to Jesus as he was teaching in the, in the temple. And they began to say this. The chief priests, the scribes, and the principal men were, asked, were seeking to destroy Jesus. But they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on Jesus' words. And one day the people, as he was teaching and preaching the gospel, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came up and said, Tell us by what authority you do these things or who gave you the authority. It got real. The circle formed. And Jesus said this. He said, I'll also ask you a question. You tell me, was the baptism from John, John the baptizer? Was he from heaven or from man? Freaks the chief priest out. It's like, dang, man. Come on, Jesus. And so he goes back with his comedian and says, we've got to talk about this. we got to talk about this because if we say John the Baptist was not from God, these people are going to light us up. Jesus had the crowd, man. He had the crowd. He said, these people are going to light us up. They'll stone us to death. So now they had a reality of the situation. The chief priest and all the people over here in this group, they knew the reality. They said, if we say John the Baptist was from man, he'll stone us. If we say he was from God, Jesus is going to say, then why are you disputing the prophets and why don't you believe me? Because you're asking me what authority you gave it by, but you already knew the answer. So if we say John is from God, Jesus is going to look and said, John said I was the son of God. He said, I got to go prepare the way of the Lord. Whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie or carry. So they can't say from God. They can't say, John, the baptizer was for man, because then they'll kill us. So they said, we don't know how to answer the question. True lawyers. <laughs> we don't know how to answer the question. They weren't going to give an answer. They gave an answer, but it wasn't. So, so you said, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. you got to understand this when you get to know Jesus a little bit. Jesus has all authority. Many prophets, when they spoke, or many people, when they spoke, they spoke in the authority of the rabbi that they followed. Jesus didn't follow a rabbi. He followed his father. So he didn't speak with the authority of another rabbi. He spoke with the authority of heaven. He spoke with the authority of God Almighty. So when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak with authority. He spoke because he had all authority. And he began to preach and teach because the Bible says, in the beginning there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God in the beginning. And the word of God became flesh, and he has dwelt among us. So you have all the authority of heaven walking up to the temple, flipping over temple tables. They come and ask him by what authority you do this. And he's saying, I am the authority. I am the word of God in the flesh. And so he walks in and begins to do these things. Jesus returns their manipulative question with another question. And so they ran away. Listen to this. Religion will always question the authority and the power of God Almighty. I said all that to lead up to this point. It's time that we dive deeper. Jesus saw the injustice of the temple. Now the temple, this is the whole place where this account took place. This right here is the whole place where this account took place. But listen to what happens in the New Testament. The Bible says this. Now moreover, into the New Testament where there's a new temple established, the Bible says we don't go to a physical temple but you are the physical temple of God. The Bible says this in, in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Or And you are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. As they went up to the temple, remember I said this is where the sacrifice was made. This is where the blood was sprinkled. All those things. Why they had to come to the temple and sacrifice? Here, listen. You are what the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sprinkled on for, for purification. You are what needs to be washed in the basin and cleansed with water for life. You are what houses the bread of life and the lampstand of God, also where prayers are offered up at the altar of incense. That's you. You are what hosts the presence and the voice of God in your life. You contain the most holy place within your spirit where god wants relationship with you he wants to talk to you he wants to fellowship with you he wants to reconnect with you that's why it says when you are born again he puts the holy spirit on the inside as a deposit guaranteeing your salvation what is to come because he wants a new connection behold it says you are a new creation in christ jesus the old you is gone the new you has come and the bible says all this is from god And so there's a connection place. You are now this temple. You are now this temple. So now is where it gets serious. Now Jesus is drawing another circle. He's drawing a circle with just you and him in the middle. Jesus saw all the things that were going on, and he was heartbroken, and he was angry. And a righteous discontent rose up. So let me ask you this. Remember out here in the court of the Gentiles where all the extortion was going on? All the manipulation was going on? All the evil was taking place? Do you remember all that and the reason he flipped it over in the first place? The extorters are still there in your life, and I want to phrase it like this. What is the enemy holding over your head at an extremely high price that you can't afford to pay? What sins is the enemy holding over your head at an extremely high price that you can't afford to pay? See, there's a lot of us who don't come and get set free because we think the price is too high. It's the price of our pride that's too high. What the enemy holds over your head, well, what will your kids think? If they knew you went down to the front and got prayed for, what would the kids think? Or what would your mom and dad think? Or who would this think? What is being extorted out of your life simply because we won't walk to the front and say, God, you've already paid the price and do this. What sinful things are in your life that are charging you an exorbitant amount, and keeping you from getting to the sacrifice? Listen to this. That's the extorters outside the wall. The bigger problem than the extorters outside the wall was the priests inside the wall. Understand this about your life. You are the priest of your life. This is the one who is in charge of the temple. This is you. Are you questioning the authoritative word of God in your life to justify sin? Remember when I said religion will always justify sin. Religion will always justify it. And we will question what the word of God says concerning anything because we wanna justify the sin in our life. Well, did God really say, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like Adam and Eve in the garden when the devil came up to him. It's exactly what it sounds like. The problem is, we're the devil, and you're fighting against yourself because you're wanting to do what's right, but the religion on the inside of you says, but did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say, "Don't, don't go and do this, don't go and do that? Did God really say that, or is that just something that you've heard all your life? Did God really, did God really, did God really? Whenever you begin to question the authoritative word of God in your life, you are falling into a slippery slope of sin that you're gonna have a hard time getting out of. You're going to have a tough place coming back to the top. Jesus, with all authority, understand this, are you letting the authority of God speak into your life? Are you letting Jesus turn over temple tables, drive out extorters in your own life to set you free? Are you letting Jesus come in, flip over the things of your life that are housing the sin that's keeping you from God?